Get your Bibles open to 2 Kings chapter 8. We are starting our series today called Tell Me Some Stories. And first of all, before I get into that, didn't you appreciate that word from Pastor Keith Tusi last Sunday encouraging us to, uh, uh, that we're in a season of recovering what has been stolen from us. And I'm always just amazed at how the Lord works because the, the sermon series kicking off today is really a message about recovery. And I, I, uh, Pastor Keith and I obviously didn't share notes or talk about what either one of us was going to talk about. It's just the way the Holy Spirit works. Um, but there's a lot of overlap today in our launching of this series. And so in 2 Kings chapter 8, I want to share with you the inspiration behind this series. King or, or Gehazi, who was Elisha's servant, is talking to the king. And this is found in 2 Kings uh, 8 verse 4. And he says this little phrase. He says, tell me some stories about the great things that Elisha has done. Tell me some stories about the great things Elisha has done. How many of you know in our hearts there is a love for stories? Anybody? Am I talking to the right crowd? Uh, and I just want to say this. Our Living Stones culture, we're a story-loving crowd, all right? Because I've told you before, we all come here broken. I want to I get you a little more comfortable in saying, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Because uh, folks that recognize that are on their path to quick healing and restoration and recovery. So how many of you know, even church people go through some challenges, some obstacles, some pain, some injustice, some struggles. Um, And so the sooner we go, yep, that's us, uh, we want to learn each other's stories because stories have a powerful way of connecting us. And I just want to say this, you know, People talk about maybe other church cultures where, you know, everybody comes in, hey, brother, how you doing? Hey, good, praise the Lord. And it's all like a quarter of an inch deep. And how many of you know if you have a culture that's shallow and everybody's always good, you're not going to have very deep relationships? Because how many of you have figured out the relationships we enjoy the most are not surfacey relationships There are relationships where we really know each other's life, and we know each other's dreams, and we know each other's pain, and we know each other's story. We understand where people came from. Can I just tell you this? One of the things that the Holy Spirit has done in me, the more mature I have gotten, the more patient I have gotten, and the more appreciative of people's journey. You know, when you're young, you know, you think everybody just needs to suck it up and get it all together and just, you know, move forward. Um, But the more mature you are, you realize life is hard. Everybody didn't have the same start. Some people had some very difficult starts. Some people had some painful starts. Some people had some major obstacles and challenges that they've had to overcome. And you know what it does? It gives you perspective And so instead of looking at where people aren't, you celebrate how far they've come. That's the power of a story. And so this is a storytelling place. This is why I encourage you, please go to our encounter, because what you'll find from the people that are sharing is not that they've had perfect lives, that have never had a a blip on on their radar of any kind of problem. You'll find just the opposite. You'll find people that have come through incredible brokenness and pain, And now they're at a place of restoration and healing because that's what God does. And you know what? When you hear somebody else share their story, it gives you permission to be vulnerable about where you are. And if you know that they can share openly and they haven't been taken out to the parking lot and stoned by the religious Pharisees at Living Stones, that it's okay to not be perfect, 
Then it gives you a chance to say, you know what? Maybe I can get healed here because this is a place, this is like a hospital. This is not a museum where we have statues of greatness all around us. This is a hospital where we have people just getting healed. But that's the power of a story. And I just want to tell you this, that whatever the devil tells you about your story, the opposite is true. This is what the devil tells you. You can't share that. If you share that, then you'll never be able to, and fill in the blank. And usually the blank is, you know, arise to some leadership level with a title behind your name. Because people will realize that, man, you've, your life's been checkered with some pretty messy stuff. How many of you have read any, any portion of the Bible? <laughs> the greatest argument that the Bible was not written by human beings, but by the Holy Spirit through human beings, is it's way too honest. You won't find any perfect people in the Bible except Jesus. Everybody else is just broken and messed up. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible? Because he, he didn't fudge the facts, all right? All the nastiness came up. And so here the king is saying, tell me some stories because stories connect us at a deeper level. And I like this. You know, Jesus, of course, was, he knew the, the power of a story. That's why he always spoke in parables. Isn't it interesting? You know, like Jesus didn't do the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to give you five principles of success in the kingdom. That's not how he did it. He told stories. He, he laid out principles, but he always highlighted them with stories, did he not? Because stories have a way of, I like this phrase, emotionalizing information. I found this to be true even in preaching. You can be going heavy on doctrine, verse after verse after verse, and people start glazing over. And then you tell a story about one of your kids, and everybody comes to life. It's not that doctrine's bad. It's that stories have a way of causing our brain to jump into the other person's world and connect with them and connect with what they're saying. How many of you were here last Sunday with Pastor Keith? Did you notice in all, I believe it was all three services, he ended with a story that he had never shared publicly anywhere in his life. Now, how many of you know when, when a speaker says, I'm going to tell you something I've never shared with anybody ever, what are you doing? You're, you're, le you're leaning forward on the edge of your seat because you realize you're, you're being allowed into a holy place. And I don't know about you, but when Pastor Keith talked about standing up for the unborn and having all hell come at him for standing up for righteousness, and in the midst of this vicious attack against him, somebody steals all of his life savings, all of his retirement, stolen. Now, when you heard that story, did it make you look at him and say, what a fool, I have no respect for you? Or did it cause you to go, oh my gosh, I, I wanted to receive a special offering at the moment just to sow into his life. Although, how many of you know when you allow God into your story, he said, I have not ever thought about that money because the Lord has been more than faithful to restore what the enemy steals from us. But the story... The story invited us in, and it didn't cause us to judge him. It caused us to have compassion for him. Can I just tell you something? Your story will cause other people to have compassion for you, but also be inspired by the freedom that you're walking in. That's the power of a story. So let me just also quickly add that everyone has a story. Your story is where you came from. Your story is where you're going. 
and your story is what binds us to each other. And so I just want to say this, the depth of the relationships in this place are because of the atmosphere and the culture of transparency and vulnerability that has been fostered here for 40 years. If any of you came to marriage class 30 years ago, some of you did, you were blown away because in marriage class, they talk about messy marital stuff. And what new people say when they come to marriage class, they say, oh my gosh, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe she said that. I can't believe we're talking about this in church. And some people have this impulse to stand on their feet and run out the door because they're like, this is nuts. Because we're so used to fake, artificial, antiseptic, religious environments where nobody gets healed because everybody pretends like they're perfect. That when you're actually in an environment where people talk about really life messy stuff and then bring Jesus into the mess, it's incredible how close people get. It's incredible how much love flows between us. Because not only do we love a story, we are a story. God is writing a story through us. And let me go a next step farther. It's not enough just to have a story. It's not enough just to tell your story. It's actually bigger than that because everybody needs their own God story. Now, this is when it gets to be really fun. Some people could go on and on and on about their story, and it's just depressing. It's like a country western song that just keeps going on and on <laughs> and on. It's not enough just to have a story. You need a God story. And this is, this is what, again, is part of our culture. You will constantly in our ministries hear our leadership team challenging you to move beyond theory, philosophy, doctrine, worldview, and to actually experience what all that truth points to because truth does not transform you until it becomes part of your story. In other words, it's not enough to have perfect theology about the character and attributes of God. God wants you to encounter him. God wants to touch you. God wants to know you. God wants to father you and me. And that's what separa separates religion from a dynamic movement of the Holy Spirit, a, a, an encounter with the living God. It's the, the fact that God's fingerprints are part of your story and that you have a God story. So let me ask you this question. If you were to share with somebody else the journey that you've had with the Lord, your own God story, would there be enough evidence there, enough, enough fingerprints on your life that somebody could sit there and listen to you and say, wow, that is amazing. Because how many of you know, people can argue, find points of Scripture. You can get up and have a debate with somebody. But the one thing that disarms debaters is a personal encounter with Jesus. Once you've had a testimony about what God's done in your life, somebody can say, well, that's interesting. I've not had that experience, but they can't steal your experience with God from you. And that's why an experience with the Lord is hard to fight because you're the living proof of what you're talking about. And, uh, and, you, and you can say like the man that was blind, all I know about this Jesus guy is once I was blind, but now I can see. And the fact that I can see came because I had an encounter with Jesus that changed my life. You can't argue with that. 
And, uh, and that's very disarming to somebody when you are the proof of an encounter with God. You are the story that God is writing. And so I want to encourage you that in every good story, there has to be conflict, there has to be a challenge, there has to be an obstacle. How many of you like to watch a good story at the movies, a good epic film, or read a great book? You will not find one story that captures you without there being something like conflict or challenge right in the middle of the story. Now, this is good news, and it's bad news, all right? Here's, here's the bad news. We're living on a planet that is broken and fallen, and we have an adversary who hates our guts, and our lives are going to be full of challenges. Can I get an amen on that one? Is there one person in this room that has not had enough challenge already that you're like, okay, I'd like to take a little bit of a break. I need a little breather, all right? That's kind of what I figured. It's important that we all collectively laugh because that's the best thing to do in life is laugh your way through it and not sweat the details. But here's the next best thing to do is invite God into your story. Hallelujah. That's when it gets to be fun. Now listen to what the Bible says. This is the good news and the bad news mixed in one verse. Psalm 34, verse 19. The righteous person faces many troubles, but... This is a good but. But the Lord comes to rescue each time. I love the way the Amplified says this. Many hardships and perplexing circumstances confront the righteous, but the Lord rescues him from them all. Some of you, your story right now has not come to its completion. The chapter has not been finished yet. Praise the Lord. Because you don't want the chapter to end now. But can I just encourage you, there are many challenges, many obstacles, many perplexities, meaning I don't understand what's going on right now. But here is the sure word of the Lord for your story. God delivers you from them all. Turn to your neighbor and just say, hang in there. God's not done yet. He's going to deliver you from them all. Well, pastor, you don't understand what I'm going through right now. Yes, I do. <laughs> the story's not over yet. Quit putting a period where God has a comma, all right? The story's not over yet. And you know when you're feeling down, you're feeling perplexed, you're feeling challenges, there's a crisis going on, just tell the devil, prophesy out loud, devil, this, I am perplexed right now. I don't understand, but God is writing my story, and he's going to deliver me from everything you're throwing my way. He is a restorer. He is a redeemer. He is not finished with me or my family yet. And how many of you know as long as you have breath, God is still writing your story. So it doesn't matter what the previous 30, 40, 50 years have looked like. If you're breathing here this morning, God can turn everything around and start putting you on a completely different trajectory because that's how he operates. He's trying to father us through life. The problem is we're trying to do it by ourselves. Stop writing your own story. Take the pencil out of your hand. Put it in God's hand and let him start finishing what he began in you. This is good news. Listen, in the midst of life's greatest challenges, that is a verse. The Lord rescues you from every challenge obstacle. That is what he's doing. So listen, 
Don't short-circuit the story with your lousy confession, with your unbelief, with your, well, I don't know where God is. Stop talking like God doesn't know where he is or like he's not near you. Are you kidding me? Stop talking that way. I love what Pastor Keith pointed out last Sunday. The devil only has so much material to work with. He can't read our minds, so he just listens to our heart. How does he listen to our heart? Because it blabs out of our mouth every day. What you believe flops out of your mouth every day. And that's what he works with. So he will beat you up and dominate your life because you constantly are telling him what you don't believe about God or how hard your situation is or your belly aching about where's God instead of here's what we're learning to do, worship. In the midst of your darkest day, worship. It sets in motion something supernatural. God inhabits the praises of his people. So when we worship and thanksgiving comes off of our spirit, you're not thanking God for the misery that you're in now. You're thanking God that there is a God who cares about you, and he's not finished yet, and he perfectly performs his word. And if there's one verse you can hang on to for the next year, how about Psalm 34, 19? God is going to rescue me from all of this. That's my confidence. That's what you tell the enemy. It's also what you remind the Lord of. This is how we fight. So turn with me really quickly here. Let's get to our text. 2 Kings chapter 8. I'm going to read the first uh, six verses here, and then we're going to talk about it. Elisha had told the woman whose son he had brought back to life, take your family and move to some other place, for the Lord has called for a famine on Israel that will last for seven years. So the woman did as the man of God instructed. She took her family and she settled in the land of the Philistines for seven years. Verse 3, after the famine ended, she returned from the land of the Philistines and she went to see the king about getting back her house and her land. I circled that in my Bible, getting back. That means recovering what has been stolen from you. As she came in, the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. And the king had just said, the king had just said, tell me some stories about the great things that Elisha has done. And Gehazi was telling the king about the time Elisha had brought a boy back to life. At that very moment, oh, I'm going to say that again. At that very moment, the mother of the boy walked in to make her appeal to the king about her house and the land. Look, my lord, the king, Gehazi exclaimed, here is the woman now, and this is her son, the very one Elisha brought back to life. Is this true, the king asked her. Check this out. And she told him the story. So he directed one of his officials to see that everything she had lost was restored to her, including the value of any crops that had been harvested during her absence. Now, this is amazing. All the Bible says is there's this woman. doesn't even give her name. Just a woman. Well, what do we know about this woman? Well, she was a wealthy woman. She and her husband, they had means. But here's what I love about her. She also respected God, and she respected the man of God. 
And the Bible says every time Elisha came through, she urged him. That means she, she was strongly persuading him, please come to our house because we want to serve you and we want you to have dinner with us. And so the Bible says basically every time Elisha came to town, he had dinner with his family. Because, listen, there's something powerful about honoring the Lord and honoring the Lord's servants that God sees. She had means, but she used her means, let's put it this way, she used her means for kingdom things. And so she honors this prophet, she cares for this prophet, she builds a relationship with this prophet, and finally this prophet asks Gehazi one day, he says, what can we do for this woman? Does she need me to put a good word in with the king? Does she need me to put a good word in with the commander of the army? What does she need? In other words, how can I bless her back? I just want to say this, when you have a heart that's big towards God, and you care about God, and you care about God things, and you care about what's near and dear to God's heart, I'm telling you, you get the attention of God Almighty, and God starts saying, what can I do for you? What can I do to bless you? That, that is the heart of honor uh, that this prophet had. And Gehazi says something. He makes an interesting request here. He says she doesn't need favor with kings. She doesn't need this. She doesn't need that. Here's what he says about her life. He says she does not have a son. Her husband is old, and she doesn't have a son. So when the prophet shows up, this is what he says to this woman. He says, next year at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. Now, I want you to think about this woman's heart because we get a revelation that comes off of her story, all right, off of what's going on in her heart. This is, what, this is her response to the prophetic word from the Lord. She says, no, my Lord, O man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. Can you feel the pain in this woman's heart, the longing in this woman's heart? She hears a word from the Lord, and she says, please, 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 don't tease me with this. Don't, don't tempt me with this. Please don't say this and get my hopes up because this is something I've treasured in my heart for a long time. How many of you know God knows the longings that are in our heart? And God's desiring to fulfill the longings he's placed in our heart. And sometimes it's like, God, please don't encourage me because I've lived with this discouragement and despondency for so long. I have no expectations because I know if I have an expectation, it might not be met. And if it's not met, I don't know if I could handle that. So I'd rather just not believe you for anything. There are lots of people that are there right now in their lives. It's like, it's like I've been disappointed for so long. I just don't even want to have any expectations at all of the Lord. And guess what happens Sure enough, a year later, when the prophet comes back, she's holding her son in her arms. The Bible simply says that her son grew older, and one day he's out working in the field, and he starts crying, and that his head hurts. His head hurts. He probably has some type of heat stroke uh, or sun poisoning. And they took him home to his mother, and the Bible just simply says that she's comforting this son, who is a miracle son, that this boy dies in her arms. Now, how many of you know you need to take the time to put yourself in the stories of people in the Bible? What is going through this woman's heart? What is it like to hold your child in your arms? Some of you know this because you've lost children. What is it like to hold a child in your arms and they've passed away? The pain, the disappointment, the hurt, the longing the crying so much that you, as Keith said last week, you cried all the tears that you can possibly cry. 
And so she turned to the Lord again, and she tracked down the man of God. And the Bible says that he came, Elisha came, and God raised that boy from the dead. But now they're facing another crisis. It's called a famine. And I want you to see this. It's important that we're properly related to each other and to the Lord in the body of Christ because there's protection from the Lord via the Holy Spirit. In other words, he wants to warn us when things are happening, and he wants us to find security and strength in the body of Christ. So because of her relationship to the prophet, he gives her some inside information. He says there's going to be a famine. God is sending a famine to judge Israel, and you need to get up and move somewhere because there's not going to be anything to eat right here. I mean, you know, this is another traumatic situation. Imagine you have to leave everything, and you have to head somewhere else. In fact, in this situation, they go to the enemy's camp. They go to the Philistines, and she's there for seven years. At the end of seven years, she starts heading back home. And when she heads back home, everything that she owned has been confiscated. Either somebody else came and took her land or property, or the king took the property. We don't know what happened, but all we know is she came back to where she was from, and everything is gone. How many of you think this woman's had some challenges in her life, all right? Some serious challenges in her life. But I want you to see this. Because the king is fascinated with a supernatural, miracle-working God, He's asking Gehazi to tell him some stories. Can I just tell you this? People in this world today are starving for the greatness of God. I want to say it again. People are starving for the greatness of God. Here's another way to say it. People are really hoping that the church of Jesus Christ would be a supernatural community marked by the presence of God where nothing is impossible and where crazy things are always happening when you're part of that community. That's what they're hoping for. So this ungodly king saying, tell me some stories, because he doesn't have any stories, but he knows Gehazi has stories because Gehazi's been hanging out with a man of God. And he says, please tell me some of these stories. And right as he's asking that question, this woman who has all of her property confiscated and nowhere to go just happens to be walking before the king. At the very moment. Now, how many of you know God's marking this woman again with his fingerprints? I'm just going to ask you all some questions. Do you all want divine appointments in your life? Like, how many of you know you're not going to forget this? At the very moment, the king says, or the Gehazi says, that's the woman I'm talking about. And that's her boy that was raised from the dead. That's them. And I want you to see something. The story moves from somebody else talking about what happened to the woman herself giving firsthand eyewitness accounts. Because listen, God's stories are eternal. What story am I talking about this morning? I'm talking about this woman's story in church today because our stories have a ripple effect. Now, here's what I want to do in this series. I want to whet your appetite for the fingerprints of God on your, on your life and on your heart. I want to mark your life with some of these divine moments where you go, at the very moment I prayed this prayer, someone pulled into my driveway. At the very moment we had this need, God answered our need. Do you have those stories in your life? That's one question. The second question is, do you want them in your life? <laughs> and are you ready to launch with us corporately into a season where we have stories about God's movement in this place, a Living Stones culture? 
That clock is tormenting me again. <laughs> Stand to your feet. If you want some of those stories, I'm just, we're, wedding, we're wedding the appetite today. We're going to jump in next week. But can you raise your heart and raise your hands and raise your eyes and look to the heavens from where our help comes from? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. God, thank you that you control the most minute details of our lives. Thank you that we're not orphans, we're children, we're sons and daughters of the Most High God. Thank you you're alive. You're the living God. You're the living God. Nothing's impossible for you, Lord. Thank you that you're not done with us yet. Thank you that the challenges we're facing now are challenges you're going to swallow up. Thank you, Lord, that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us from them all. Thank you, Lord, we're not alone. Thank you, you're near. Thank you, you're a conqueror. Thank you, you're a fierce warrior. Thank you, we're the apple of your eye. We're the bride that caught your eyes, caught your affection. Lord, that you love us so very much. And thank you that you're wanting to make your name great on planet Earth. Lord, make your name great through us. Make your name great and write your stories, God, through us. Lord, here we are. We believe you. We're not going to limit you. We're going to invite you into our messes, into our pain. Thank you, Lord, that you redeem it and you restore. And so, Lord, we build upon what we heard last week. We say to the enemy, you're going to restore everything that has been taken from us with interest. God, thank you. You gave this woman back everything that she owned. And then the king said, pay her all the, 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 the money we owe her from the, from the flock, from the harvest, Lord, that was coming in on her property even while she was gone. What an amazing God you are. So, Lord, we receive it right now. We're not going to try to figure out how you're going to do it. That's part of the joy of watching the story. Let us enjoy the story in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Hey, love you guys. If you need prayer, come on down. We want to pray for you.